Pride Month is a time to celebrate the identities that make up our amazing, diverse community. It's also a time to reflect on and honor the powerful contributions of those who have come before us. We all stand on the shoulders of giants. Langston Hughes, Audre Lorde, Edie Windsor, Harvey Milk, James Baldwin, Larry Kramer, Bayard Rustin, Sylvia Rivera, Marsha P. Johnson, to them and countless other trailblazers, we are humbly indebted and forever grateful. If you'd like more information or recommendations on how you can help the movement, go to blacklivesmatter.com slash partners. This is the Big Gay Fiction Podcast, the show for avid readers and passionate fans of gay romance fiction. Each week, we bring you exclusive author interviews, book recommendations, and explore the latest in gay pop culture. Welcome to episode 247 of the Big Gay Fiction Podcast. I'm Jeff from jeffadamswrites.com, and with me as always is my co-host and husband, Will Knaus. Hello, everybody. Coming up this week, Lauren Shippen joins us to talk about the podcast and books that make up the Bright Sessions universe, and she's also got a special reading for us from The Infinite Noise. This episode of the podcast is brought to you in part by our remarkable community on Patreon. We'll have more information on how you can join the community at the end of the show, along with a sneak peek of what we have coming up for you next week. Welcome back, remarkable Rainbow Romance readers. We are so glad you could join us for another episode, especially now as we wrap up Pride Month 2020. Needless to say, this has been a Pride Month unlike any other before, and I hope that the unique circumstances that we have all found ourselves in has given you a chance uh, perhaps to reflect on your place in the community and what you can do to help raise voices of those who have been disenfranchised by the movement or have been left behind. Certainly in the past month, I've done some thinking and some soul searching about how I use my own privilege and what I can do to make things better for other people. And this isn't just a, a magical light bulb moment. This is something that I'm certainly going to have to educate myself on and think about deeply. And that's going to take time. As much as we might want to undo systemic racism with a wave of a magic wand, that's not how it works. So I'm ready to do the work and I hope you are too. That being said, we do have a lot of work to do, but I also think that it's worthwhile to take some time away and recharge and maybe have a little bit of fun. And I hope that the bonus material that we've brought you during the month of June has been fun. We hope that you've enjoyed it. Jeff and I would like to take a quick moment to thank everyone who came on the show over the past 30 days, all the authors and bloggers and podcasters who've shared their stories with us. You've made Pride 2020 genuinely special, and we're very, very grateful. And as a quick reminder, we are wrapping up Pride Month with one last piece of very special bonus content. It's our book club episode that's going to be dropping on Tuesday, June 30th. And this month's book club pick is Heartache and Hoofbeats by Masmatics. If you haven't had a chance to read this book, I highly recommend it. Yeah, it's an absolute delight. It's a book I didn't know I needed to read. And it's a perfect selection for Summertime Book Club. Now, a book that is coming out later this week on July 2nd is the brand new edition of the Heart to Heart charity anthology. This time out, it's gone paranormal. Uh, a little bit of the blurb for you. Why should the phenomenally successful dating app Heart to Heart only work its magic in the human world when lonely lichens, dejected dragons, and jilted jackalopes need love too? In this new paranormal universe, mages and shifters, vampires, psychics, and even humans will reach out to Heart to Heart podcast host Jeannie DeLamp for help finding a magical match. 
and they just might find that talking about their woes helps their wishes come true. 18 authors got together for the stories in this brand new edition, and those include Macy Blake, Morgan Bryce, Jen Burke, Sam Burns, and W.M. Fox wrote together, Kiki Borelli, Charlie Cochet, Susie Hawk, Sheena J. Himes, J.D. Light, Maz Maddox, Lisa Oliver, Pandora Pine, Piper Scott, Haley Turner, Sylvia Violet, and oh, guess what? We wrote a story too. <laughs> They came to us and invited us to come play along there since, you know, to have the podcasters write the story about the podcaster, I guess, made a whole lot of sense. This anthology supports three charities focusing on youth and young adult programs in Canada. There's Camp Firefly, which is a summer camp and leadership retreat designed for lesbian, gay, bisexual, trans-identified, two-spirited, intersexed, queer, and questioning youth. There's Project 10 which works to promote the personal, social, sexual, and mental well-being of lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender, transsexual, two-spirit, intersex, and questioning youth and adults 14 to 25, and Community, which is a nonprofit organization based in Vancouver that works to improve queer, trans, and two-spirited lives. We are very honored to be part of this wonderful anthology. As with all the Heart to Heart anthologies, it's only available for a limited time, so you got to grab it for 90 days, starting Thursday, July 2nd. So we hope you will pick that up and check out these wonderful paranormal stories. So moving into reviews, we want to kick off with some TV that we've been watching this week, and in particular, a couple of shows that I think are really something that everybody should be watching as we wrap up Pride Month. The first that we want to talk about is the brand new documentary that just dropped on Netflix, Disclosure. I was tangentially aware of this, meaning like I'd heard about it on social media. Uh, And when we queued it up the other night, uh, I was frankly just so blown away, not only at the level of talent that is on display in this particular documentary, but the breadth of the subject on which it covers. Disclosure is essentially the trans version of what the celluloid closet did for gay representation in cinema over 25 years ago. Disclosure looks at trans representation in movies and films from the very beginning of all of those mediums to the present day. It is insightful, it is joyous, it is heartbreaking. It covers all that is good and all that is bad when it comes to representation of trans people in the media that we consume. I don't really know what else to say other than it's really damn good. And I highly recommend anyone who considers themselves an ally to the community that you check it out. I agree. I was made aware of it as you were on social media. In particular, I was caught by the fact that one of my trans friends who I used to play hockey with in New York had said he'd already watched it four times in the very short window that it had already been available because it was that meaningful and that powerful for him. And I kind of knew from that that I needed to watch this. But I think it's it's really something, as you said, that any anyone who considers himself an ally should really watch. And the same is true for... The Posathon that was on FX this past Friday night. FX and Disney gave over an hour of commercial free programming to the cast and producers of Pose. Now, Pose is supposed to be in season three right now because it always surfaces during Pride Month, but they got shut down, of course, with the pandemic. It didn't stop them from celebrating Pride, though. This program was quite special in that not only did we get some wonderful musical performances from the cast led by Billy Porter and MJ Rodriguez, but we got some really 
important and timely messages about what pride means to the post community, which is largely made up of trans and queer people, mostly people of color in particular. It was really moving to hear their stories and their perspectives in this time when black and brown trans lives, especially those of black and brown trans women, are in such danger at the level that they are being murdered. Their stories of pride, their stories of history. You've heard us name check many people at the top of this show during Pride Month. There's a history lesson within the Posathon about who those people are, if you are unfamiliar, and their place at the forefront of, of gay rights and queer rights. I can't stress enough how important and moving I found this particular program. And one of the Pose actors, actually, as he was talking about what pride means to him, said that it's the ability to live my authentic self, even if it means I am in danger for my safety. And I'm paraphrasing there. But that really struck me as, as what it is to be in that community that you can be at danger while you're living your authentic self, and nobody should be in that position. This program is available on Hulu still and is available to stream at posathon.com, and I can't recommend it highly enough. One other program that we are a fan of dropped a brand new season during the month of June, and that is Ryan Murphy's The Politician which concerns the wild machinations of Peyton and his determined pursuit of ruling the entire world. (laughs) Or in this particular case, he's shooting for the presidency. Last year in season one found our cast at a ridiculously high-toned prep school and the political fight to become class president. At the end of that season, we jumped forward to find most of our characters in New York City, which gave us a glimpse into season two, which finds Peyton running for New York State Senate. Like other Ryan Murphy shows of its kind, it is wild, it is outrageous, it is twisty, it is funny, it is heartbreaking. I really loved last season. I think season two surpasses it because we go even deeper with these characters despite the ridiculous and outrageous situations that they find themselves in these are complicated characters which is essentially tv talk for they're all remarkably fucked up which is why i find so many of them so endearing and so fascinating season two as i mentioned is the fight for state senate where peyton finds himself up against judith light and bette midler And I think one of the things that makes season two so remarkably special is is that we get 10 entire episodes of the two of them on screen doing their absolute outrageous best to take this little punk down. I loved everything about it, too. You didn't mention that Peyton is played by Ben Platt, and it's really epic when Ben, Bet, and Judith are all on screen together doing things. The one missed thing for me in this season is that somehow Ben and Bet never shared a song. Because Ben does sing. He sang in season one. He sang a little bit in season two. And the fact that they didn't figure that out is a missed opportunity, but maybe season three. Who knows? But yeah, we highly recommend The Politician on Netflix. So we do actually have a book to talk about, too, uh, since we are a book podcast. Yay books! (laughs) Yay books! And this was a really special book, too. Finding Joy, which is the latest by Adriana Herrera. We are big fans of Adriana's Dreamer series, and she knocks it out of the park again with Finding Joy. This book finds Desta Walker returning to Ethiopia, which is a place that he spent time as a child while his parents did aid work in the country. 
He's there now to follow in their footsteps, even though he's not quite sure that that is exactly the work he wants to do. He's still excited to be back in Addis and quickly feels at home there in a way that he doesn't in many places. The work he's doing isn't easy as he travels the country completing survey work in the towns and villages. Now, his driver on this expedition is another aid worker by the name of Elias. Desta and Elias quickly enter into a zone of becoming friends. And you can actually hear a little bit of that particular chapter for yourself in Adriana's reading, which was one of our Pride Month episodes. Uh, And I will link to that specific one in the show notes because her reading and her discussion on this book is really special. From the very beginning, there's an instant camaraderie between Desta and Elias, even though Desta's having to hide his homosexuality because that is illegal in Ethiopia. Now, as Desta and Elias travel, they talk a lot and ever so slowly expose layers about each other. Even before either of them has come out to the other, Desta experiments a little bit by playing the audiobook of Aristotle and Dante Discover the Secrets of the Universe, which is a nice little insertion of another gay classic into this book. Turns out that Elias quite enjoyed that story, and that allowed the two to open up to each other even more. Now, Desta uses this trip to really think about what he wants, not just in regard to the future work that he wants to do, but he's also having to consider what his choices are going to mean to his mom, uh, because he feels that you know this aid work is kind of the family business, and it's one of the few connections to his dad that both he and his mom still have left. So he's got that a little bit weighing on his mind also. And he's also thinking about the disastrous relationship that he recently ended with his ex and what it might be like to have one with Elias, who he continues to just build this attraction to. It is so super sweet when these two men admit their feelings to each other and that romance kicks in for them as they figure out how to express their feelings for one another in a place where it can be really deadly for them to do so. But they're cute little, almost little flirtations, and they're sneaking around with each other. It's really sweet and really nice how they build most of their romance through just talking with each other, because they can't really go on overt dates and things like that. Now, Adriana showed in her Dreamer series how expert she is at letting characters reveal themselves on the page, both through their internal and external monologue and dialogue. And she does it again here. I fell so in love with Desta and Elias and how they navigated the tricky road of a relationship beyond what it meant to start in Addis, but also in terms of what they wanted for their futures, because Elias is going through some of his own thoughts about if he wants to stay in the country or go to New York and pursue school. Is it absolutely beautiful, compelling, and heartfelt story. Adriana also made Ethiopia come alive. My knowledge of the country, unfortunately, is limited to what's so often on the news about its poverty. And while that is part of the story, because it's why Elias and Desta are doing the work that they do, Adriana shows the beauty in the country as well. The landscape, the people, the food. It's all just like I had a trip to the country without ever leaving my house. And now I have a better understanding of it. She's got tremendous side characters here, of course, as well. Say hi is a friend and colleague, first to Elias and then to Desta. She's also an ally because they kind of reveal themselves to her and she helps them kind of remind them that they are in Ethiopia. She's also a rock star, literally a rock star, uh, as we find out through this book as well. And I loved it when she was in scenes because she was so awesome. And Adriana, she needs a book of her own. Think about that. 
Also, Desta's aunt, Saba, is a great figure. Uh, she's a very positive influence for Desta to talk to, and I absolutely adored her. Everyone really needs an aunt like her. As with all of Adriana's work, I'm so glad I got to read Finding Joy. It lives up to its title because you can't help but feel joy throughout this book, and especially in its beautiful HEA. I very much recommend it, and I really can't wait to see what's next from her. If you're interested in learning more about Finding Joy or anything else that we've talked on this week's show, all you have to do is go to the show notes page for this episode at BigGayFictionPodcast.com. In the hockey player's heart, the feel-good gay romance by Jeff Adams and Will Knaus, hockey star Caleb Carter returns to his hometown to recover from an injury. He never expects to run into his one-time crush at a grade school fundraiser. Seeing Aaron Price hits him hard, like being checked into the boards. The attraction is still there, even after all these years, and Caleb decides to make a play for the school teacher. You miss 100% of the shots you never take, right? Aaron has been burned by love before, and can't imagine what a celebrity like Caleb could possibly see in a guy like him. Their differences are just too great. But as Aaron spends more time with Caleb, he begins to wonder if he might have what it takes to win the hockey player's heart. Get The Hockey Player's Heart at Amazon.com. So I'm excited to welcome Lauren Shippen to the show this week. A few weeks back, I got to review the book The Infinite Noise, which is a spinoff of her Bright Sessions podcast. And it was really interesting to be able to explore the origins of that world and how she brought all of this together into a very unique kind of multimedia package. So let's get to that and hear from Lauren. Lauren, thanks so much for being on the podcast. I'm very excited to get to talk to you. I'm so excited to be here. Thank you so much for having me. So I reviewed Infinite Noise on the show a few weeks ago, but I want to kind of go all the way back to where everything started with the Bright Sessions, which ran for about four seasons and I believe started in 2015. For those who aren't familiar, tell us about the show and about Dr. Bright. Yeah, so The Bright Sessions is an audio fiction drama about Dr. Bright, who is a therapist, but she's not just any therapist. All of her patients are atypicals, which are these people who have supernatural abilities. And instead of being, you know, the X-Men, where these superpowered people go off and fight crime and save the world, it's really about their personal struggles with these things that make them different and how they're learning to live and cope with their abilities in therapy and with this this doctor and then you know there's some some romance and some mystery and some action all all involved in that but always very grounded in the emotional drama of people just trying to live their lives Mm -hmm. and that looking at caleb from the infinite noise and we'll obviously get to that in a minute what i thought was interesting was he is this atypical who at least in that book is not a superhero he's not out saving the world he's trying to get through high school (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) which, you know, is enough of a trial as it is. (laughs) Exactly, exactly. What was the inspiration behind creating the Bright Sessions? One of the the first inspirations for it was really just wanting to tell my own stories um, and to do it in a way that I could control every aspect of. And so I, I... decided I wanted to do a fiction podcast because I was listening to Welcome to Night Vale and falling in love with the medium. And as, as I was thinking about what story I would tell in podcast form, I kept thinking about this character that had been in my head for a little while. I have an anxiety disorder and I've been having panic attacks since I was a kid. And I had started to imagine 
what would happen if when I had panic attacks, I went somewhere else. And out of that grew this character, Sam Barnes, who I play in the podcast, who time travels involuntarily when she has panic attacks. And I was trying to figure out exactly how to tell her story and how to tell a story about a woman who is isolated and anxious all the time, but also has this extraordinary ability that so many people would you know, love to have that for her is really a torture device. And thinking about putting her in conversation with someone and ultimately realizing like, oh, this, this person really needs therapy. She has some stuff she needs to work out. And then once that premise came to my head, it was like, wait a second, who's this therapist? Who are her other patients? And everything just kind of, you know, fell out from there. It, it was like floodgates opened. What was it about podcasting and audio fiction that made it the way to tell the story instead of going more traditional in a novel or even trying to spin it into a TV series or something like that? It really was a, a marriage of idea and a desire to be making something in the medium to begin with. I used to be an actor primarily. I still do a little bit of it now, but I've, I've discovered that the thing I loved about acting is actually really just what writing and directing are. Um, and so it's, it's, it's been a good transition into those things. But I, I was wanting to act in something of my own and be able to edit it and actually produce it myself. But I knew nothing about, you know, film or anything. And then when I, when I came to this idea and was starting to validate these characters, there was something really appealing to me about listening in on people's therapy sessions. Eventually the podcast expands outside of the world of the therapy room, but the first two seasons are almost entirely in the therapist's office in this session with her patients. And there's something about that that is just perfect for the podcast medium because two people sitting in a therapist's office talking is not particularly interesting for a TV show or a visual medium. Yeah. I mean, you know, there are shows that have made it work, but the thing I really liked about podcasts is that you can really suspend your disbelief and imagine that you're actually listening into recorded tapes. And there's something about about it that's really a halfway point between watching a TV show and reading a book where you're actively engaged, but you also can kind of just let it wash over you and then let your imagination run wild because you don't have the visual cues. And that's one of the things I really love about reading is not being given the visuals and just being given enough information to build out my own world in my head. And so that's really what I wanted to create for our listeners as well. And you mentioned this kind of draws off your own anxiety issues that you were having. And I know mental health yeah. is important as a topic for you to explore. And it's certainly an ongoing theme, obviously, in the Bright Sessions. Mm -hmm. Was there a lot of research you needed to do to kind of get all these representations right for the show? Yeah, I definitely, especially in the beginning, I definitely leaned heavily on my own experiences and, you know, based a lot of, of certain characters and certain abilities off of my own mental health. But I also did a lot of reading about different experiences about, you know, synesthesia um, and extreme empathy, which both factor into how Caleb experiences his ability. And then the most important thing was that I have a sister who is a professional psychologist who read all of the scripts <laughs> and made sure that I wasn't portraying therapy in a way that was going to be dangerous or, or hurtful to the audience. You know, there were definitely times when she said like, oh, well, actually a therapist probably wouldn't do this or do that. And then I would kind of say, well, okay, but it's a sci-fi show and I kind of need the therapist to be like a little bit dodgy because of this plot thing that needs to happen. But we, she really worked with me to make sure that even when I was going outside the bounds of what, you know, a good therapist would do, 
that I was never saying that therapy was a bad thing to do. And that, you know, talking about your, your emotions and your problems is just always presented as a positive thing in the show. So definitely having her actual, you know, professional expertise was, was hugely helpful. And then just reading as many first person accounts of different experiences as possible and building off of them, because ultimately at the end of the day, for the most part, none of the characters in the podcast are officially diagnosed with specific real world mental health issues. There are a couple of characters who there's a, a veteran character who has PTSD and, and doesn't he's sort of halfway between an atypical and, and, a, and a regular human. But for the most part, they're being diagnosed with these fake supernatural abilities. And so, you know, I, I got to have a little bit of uh, creative license in that in terms of how I was approaching things and how I was portraying them, because ultimately they're just coming from my imagination. Mm -hmm. And how convenient to have somebody in the family who can be your research. Oh, yeah. Especially at the beginning when, you know, we were producing it all in my bedroom and everybody was acting for free. And, you know, there was no budget to hire like a sensitivity reader or, you know, have a, you know, acting doctor work on the show as a consultant. So it was very, I got very lucky. <laughs> mm -hmm. Was it all a matter of essentially just people getting together to, to do the scripts? Did you even get to record like together in one room or was it just people yeah. doing their scripts and turning them in? So we recorded 98% of the original Bright Sessions in my bedroom, um, which I'm currently sitting in and doing this interview from. So it's seen a lot of different podcasts. <laughs> and we would always record everybody all together. And with a couple of like small exceptions, you know, if there was someone that had like a couple lines, we would get one of our friends from New York or something to do it. Even my sister appears, you know, as, as a little Easter egg as the, the receptionist for the, the therapist. But we would basically be reading the scripts off of iPads and then doing them together and acting them out like scenes in a play. So just doing basically entire episodes in one take. And it's interesting because we're going, we're about to record our next spinoff podcast, the college shapes, which is about Caleb and Adam in college. And because of the current state of the world, it's, you know, May, 2020, as we record this, we are doing the entire podcast remotely which mm -hmm. we've never done before. And we've never had to have, you know, actors reading in different places and doing some things in their own time. And so, yeah, it's a really interesting challenge. But the original one was all recorded together in, in a you know, West Hollywood apartment. <laughs> it's really interesting what we're seeing happen with things being done remotely, whether it's a bunch of actors getting together to do a play remotely and throw it up yeah. on YouTube and people just kind of making it work to keep the creativity going. Yeah, it's really encouraging to see. And I'm definitely a little bit nervous to be directing people over, you know, Skype, but I'm excited about the new challenge and to continue to make make things, even though, you know, the world is what it is. It's, it's nice comfort. Mm -hmm. When do you have a, a drop date yet for the college tapes? Yes, it'll be this fall. I can't confirm exactly when because, you know, obviously with everything that's been happening, production's been a moving target, but it'll be end of September, beginning of October of this year. That's exciting. And I yeah. certainly, having <laughs> met Caleb and Adam in, in Infinite Noise, I would, I'm excited to get more of their adventures as they move into college. So yay. <laughs> yay. <laughs> I am really excited about it. It is very different from the infinite noise and the bright sessions it's like much more of a spooky scooby-doo style mystery so i think it's gonna be really fun oh fun 
the first spinoff from Bright Sessions was the AM archives as well. Yeah. What prompted that to spin off instead of just continuing the story as it had been? It was a bunch of different factors. The The biggest one was that I really always wanted the Bright Sessions to be this incredibly grounded, emotional story about relationships and about loneliness and finding lonely people finding other lonely people and building something together and learning to, to love and heal together. And as a result, it's a show that is, you know, the, the plot is basically people talking about their feelings, which, you know, some people don't like. And, and definitely, you know, uh, there have been people who've accused the Bright Sessions of not having very much of a plot, but that was very intentional. I really wanted it to be this exploration of, of the human condition. And as the story progressed. And as I was writing the beginning of season four, I was thinking about the whole season arc and the, the, the plots that I wanted to tie up in the places that I wanted these characters to go. And I just sort of realized that they were coming to this really natural ending point in terms of the journeys that they had begun in episode one, where, you know, Caleb was getting to the end of his high school career. Sam had gotten a hold on her panic attacks. Dr. Bright had really opened up and become more vulnerable and, kind of atoned for all of the mistakes that she had made in her past and started to learn to forgive herself. And I had this really interesting conflict inside of me where I realized I was coming to this really natural close, but that also was because of the way that the plot was going, there were all of these potential threads to spin out. And I thought about just then jumping in next season, you get something totally fresh and new. And the, the story I really wanted to tell would end up becoming the AM archives was the story about justice and about I mean it's kind of a like commentary on you know the prison industrial complex really light stuff but I I really wanted to tell a, a thriller and I just that did not belong in the show that I had already created and so I in in order to really keep the bright sessions as this what is what what ended up being you know comfort food for a lot of people this this you know, 30 minute chunks where you can sit in on somebody's therapy session and see these characters grow and talk about, you know, their problems. I really wanted to, to maintain that and keep that kind of pristine. I didn't want it to all of a sudden become something where there was like, you know, it's like, oh, well, you're listening to these nice sort of soft therapy sessions. And like, yes, there's drama. And yes, there's violence sometimes. But like the stakes are always people's emotions. I didn't want that the person listening to that to then listen to the new season. And you know, there's murder and this cat and mouse game and a locked facility and all the stuff that we get into in the AM archives. It's like a much different show. So that was really a big, a big piece of it. And another piece of it was that I was starting to get, you know, a lot, a lot of other work in different podcasts and was writing the book. And was looking at, you know, the amount of time that the Bright Sessions was taking and how everybody involved with it, it was sort of outgrowing what it could be and realizing that, like, I couldn't continue doing it for free. I couldn't continue paying my actors, you know, the the little stipend that I was paying them and wanting to actually, like, sell this spinoff into a space that could actually give it a, a good budget. And, you know, thankfully, we, we paired with Luminary, who have been such wonderful partners and have enabled us to really make it a job for people in a way that it always had just been a hobby. So it was, it was kind of that, that twofold decision. Mm -hmm. And it's always wonderful when a creative bootstrapped sort of thing becomes the next level. 
Yeah, it was really thrilling. And it, and it, I think the thing that was the most thrilling about it was how it, it allowed us to expand creatively. Like I was able to hire on three writers and have a cast of 30 and pay my sound designer their full rate and have it fully scored by our incredible composer. A big piece for me in, in choosing to take this show elsewhere and expand it in a different place and, and have it exist behind a paywall because the AM archive is on Luminary exclusively was that the Bright Sessions of the original series would always have to remain free and available everywhere. And that's something that would never, ever change because I, kind of in keeping it this very grounded emotional story, I wanted it to be there for people. And so it, I, I really do feel like I got to have the best of both, both worlds. And of course, you mentioned working on the book, which is a yeah. great segue into The Infinite Noise, which features Caleb and Adam. How did you decide to jump to a book and with these particular characters? So this book actually was started semi-simultaneously with the podcast, which is is kind of funny because it, it just sort of sat in my computer for, for a couple of years before I built it out more and, and you know, eventually partnered with, with Tortine, which has been amazing. But I, I've always loved books. They're my first love. YA is still a, a huge love of mine. It's like the bulk of what I read because I think it's where a lot of the most interesting stuff is happening. Like YA and romance, I feel like are the are the genres that like really break the mold of what books are doing and, and provide these worlds that feel so real and grounded, but also open up your imagination in a really wonderful way. And so as I was writing Caleb's journey in the first season of the, of the podcast, which was only nine episodes, he's only in three of them. So it was really just like the beginning of the beginning of his story. I know I want to tell a story about a kind of seemingly macho jock football player who had an ability that was completely antithetical to that appearance, which is extreme empathy. And kind of because toxic masculinity is something that is endlessly fascinating to me and that affects every single person on the planet because it, you know, the patriarchy, et cetera. <laughs> and it's something that I think affects young men in, in a way that we don't really talk about that much. You know, we talk so much and, and thankfully we're talking more and more about the way that tax masculinity and, and, you know, rape culture and all of these things affect women. But as you know, that conversation is incredibly important and obviously I'm, I'm incredibly invested in it and I want it to continue to happen. But at the same time, I want to make sure that when we have these conversations, we are also talking about how, these toxic masculine ideals affect men as well and how you know toxic masculinity is this buzzword but there is good masculinity too you know being masculine is not bad and it shouldn't be you know demonized and, and all the complexities that lie within that and so I was like all right there's gonna be a, a high school football player who can feel everybody's feelings that's the way for me to explore this 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 idea that I'm having and as I was first writing his his first episode and he was talking about this kid, Adam, in his class, who was, whose feelings were really, really strongly. Adam was initially just like an avatar of me that I was putting into the, into the podcast as like a total off-screen secondary character. You know, this kind of loner kid who was sharp-edged and suffered from depression and, you know, didn't feel understood by anybody. And I just kind of wanted him to be a foil to, to Caleb. And as I was writing the first episode and writing Caleb expressing what it's like to feel this this guy's feelings, I realized like, oh, they're going to fall in love. That's where this is going. And so I started to build out the character of Adam a little bit more and build out their story. And as I was doing that, I was really getting stuck on 
how the empath ability worked and how exactly when Caleb was like getting distracted by these, these feelings that Adam was feeling, if Adam was noticing anything in, you know, in the way that Caleb was behaving. And so I started to write this dual perspective, essentially just like a writing exercise in prose about the two of them in class having like the same experience, like experiencing the same emotions at the same time because of Caleb's empath ability, but being worlds apart because they weren't communicating yet. And I wrote, you know, maybe like two chapters of what became, I think, I think it ended up becoming like chapters five and six of Infinite Noise. And I sent them to the actors as just like a little like, here's how, you know, their internal monologues function when they're going through this thing that we don't actually see in the podcast. We're only hearing about it after the fact. Uh, and then I just kind of sat on the shelf for a while. And I was a year or so later was talking to my book agent, Matthew, who has been such a, a guiding light in my career about what a Bright Sessions novel would look like. And we were talking a lot about like what an adult contemporary novel would look like. And there were lots of ideas I was excited about, but I also ended up bringing up like, oh, hey, I actually have this beginning of a YA novel and I love YA. Like, would you want to read it? And he did. And he told me to write more. And, you know, a year later, The Infinite Noise existed. <laughs> <laughs> I've really loved Adam and Caleb because there's so much there that even if you take out Caleb's abilities, it's still high school because empath or not, high yeah. school crashes <laughs> in on you all the time. Absolutely. And then, and then amongst all the turmoil, there's this super sweet love story that sits at the core of these two guys who you, it's it's truly an opposites attract love story at the same time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And that's like, ultimately, I love love and, and all that I ever want to write is love story, whether it's a love story between two romantic partners or two friends or family members, just love being the core of, of the story is always where I, I find myself gravitating towards. And I read it without having listened to the Bright Session. So it works totally as a standalone Within the Bright Sessions universe and the podcast, where does it kind of fit in the timeline? I'm always so happy to hear that it works as a standalone because it's like impossible for me to really see, you know, because it's 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 really tied into the the Bright Sessions as a podcast, actually. And basically, it starts about a month before the podcast does and ends at the beginning of season three. So basically tracks over the first two seasons of the podcast. But what was so fun for me about writing this book, there's, you know, some therapy sessions in it and there's some some scenes that directly happen in the podcast that are in the book. But what was so fun is that, you know, in the podcast, because of the way that the narrative is framed as therapy sessions, Caleb is telling Dr. Bright about all of these these things that he's experiencing and, you know, kind of realizing that he has a crush on this guy, not knowing what to do, because how do you tell your crush that you also are a superhero, you know, all of these, all of these things he's worried about. But the thing that we don't get is we don't get Adam's side of the story. And we also don't get their scenes together outside of the therapy room. And so it's, it's kind of an extension sideways from the podcast it tracks the same timeline, but it goes deeper on these two particular characters and especially getting to tell the story from Adam's perspective and getting to write their, their first kiss was like such a joy as someone who'd you know, been living in their story for a couple of years, not getting to do any of that stuff. <laughs> mm -hmm. I mentioned in my review, something that you do just so extraordinarily is putting emotion on the page. And certainly you've done some of that in the podcast because Caleb has to tell Dr. Bright how he's mm -hmm. feeling and what it's like. 
But then there are other sections in the book where you're either in Adam's head discussing kind of how he feels as he's like, you know, dropping into the depression that he goes into and Mm -hmm. Caleb's in his own head, you know, talking about all of it. And it's so rich and vibrant. Thank you. How did you do that? Give me the master class in like (laughs) two minutes on how you did that. (laughs) Definitely writing the first like couple of chapters as an exercise when I was writing the podcast was a huge help, like just immediately diving into their heads and then using that as a launch pad to have Caleb try and explain these emotions to Dr. Bright was an enormous help. But really it was just about, I mean, it is just trial and error. So much of it, especially with Caleb and his empath ability, you know, like I said, I, I read about, about extreme empathy and synesthesia, the experience of your senses kind of being at cross wires. So, you know, seeing sounds and hearing colors and, and, and it's a real neurological condition, especially mirror touch synesthesia, where you actually can feel the physical sensations of someone that you're looking at, which is, again, a, a real neurological condition. All these things that exist in the real world and understanding how people who've experienced them firsthand describe them was, it was a great jumping off point. And then it was really just about sitting with those emotions myself and thinking about like, okay, well, how does jealousy fit inside of me? And if I were this kind of of person, how would it fit inside of me differently? I mean, so much of it was really an acting exercise. I studied Stanislavski in in acting school and actor's work by Stanislavski is, is a wonderful read. You know, it's, it's 1880s Russian acting technique, so it's not necessarily the most relevant of all of it, but it's really interesting. And then the most important thing was keeping track of what each emotion felt like. So I have like a dictionary on my computer of like, here's what pride feels like, here's what jealousy feels like, here's what anger feels like. So that when Caleb experienced that emotion again, I could look at it and say, okay, well, you know, disappointment in yourself is usually black sludge, but he's feeling it from this person. So is it going to be slightly different because of this or is it's mixed in with this? And so what's the combination of, you know, black sludge and, or, you know, orange concern? Like, what does that combine into? Yeah, just having that having that dictionary as a reference point throughout writing was very helpful. <laughs> yeah. Again, it was just it was so good. <laughs> it really Thank sucked you. me Thank in, which you. is why I really have to go back to the bright <laughs> sessions to bring the story kind of full circle for everybody who you know, Please do. And, and the other characters too. <laughs> now your, your second bright sessions novel is coming out in September with a neon darkness, which mm-hmm. features Damien who has a brief cameo in the infinite noise. And frankly, yeah. I find him <laughs> scary uh, more than a little Perfect. bit. <laughs> Tell us what we get to look forward to in this book. A Neon Darkness is like a photo negative of Infinite Noise. It's very, very different. Damien is the primary antagonist in, or one of the primary antagonists in the Bright Sessions podcast. And he has an ability that is, in a lot of ways, actually the reverse or mirror image of Caleb's. It is essentially emotional manipulation. But uh, more succinctly, it is, imposing his wants onto other people. He likes to call it mind control, but really what it is is that when he wants something, he projects that want outwards and other people want that thing too. So if he really wants someone to tell him the truth about something, they're going to tell him the truth. And he was a character who I introduced as, for a similar reason why I came up with with Caleb for an examination of of sort of a different side of, of male identity and masculinity and, and sort of 
being the the very sort of simplified personification of white straight cis male privilege and then in writing him and in working with the actor charlie ian who plays him in the podcast he became much more interesting and layered than that and much more complicated and i kind of you know fell in love with writing him a little bit he is still a terrible person 90 percent of the time um and you should be scared of him because he doesn't make good choices but i really started to see his you know his humanity and so when I was thinking about what books I wanted to write in this world, I really wanted to tell his story about how he became the villain that we meet. Um, and so in Neon Darkness takes place 10 years before the beginning of the, the podcast. And it's him as an 18 year old in Los Angeles, really discovering his the extent of his abilities and meeting some people who he connects with and making a lot of mistakes. And it's, it's kind of a... a you know, LA noir mystery. And it's pretty dark. And I'm really excited for people to read it. That's very cool. I like how you moved it back in time. So it's still a young adult novel. Uh, so yeah, you're going back yeah. to when he's 18. Yeah, yeah, it was really, it was really fun to explore this person that I knew so well, who was so cagey about his past in the podcast. And it was really a, a really nice blank slate to work with. And to think back to like, okay, well, who who would this person have been at 18? How would he have been different? How would he have been softer? And, and you know, it's before sort of the world caves in on him. And it was it was really fun to write that journey. Mm -hmm. And a different exercise completely from the infinite noise where you were kind of working Hugely. in the existing <laughs> podcast timeline. Yeah, yeah. It was really fun to, to get to just run rampant and create a bunch of new characters and a totally new world. Yeah, and just have a, a totally blank slate. It was, it was a blast. Do you see more Bright Sessions novels after Neon Darkness? I'm actually uh, working on my third right now. It's about a character, Rose, who you don't meet in Infinite Noise, but you do meet in season three of the podcast. And like all my, my novels, it's, it's, there's a degree of queer romance involved. Demons is a little bit less than that because there's there's not a ton of romance in it, but it definitely has has some of that identity in there. Rose is a 19 year old who discovers that she can walk into people's dreams, and it's about her really exploring that power and kind of becoming addicted to it. And the fact that living in dream world that you can control is pretty enticing. So why stay awake? It's been such a different journey than the other two and it, and almost like a different world that still shares the same characters. And it's, yeah, it's a it's a real challenge to write dreams. I, I eventually got the uh, writing the emotions down with the infinite noise. Writing the weirdness and surreality that exists in dreaming is really hard. <laughs> Interesting. I can't wait to read that now, too. So... Uh... Through Pride Month, we've been having authors and narrators read a little bit of their work for us. And Tortine has been awesome and given us a little excerpt from the audiobook of The Infinite Noise. Can you set up a little bit for us what we're going to get? Yes. So this is chapter one, which is read by Brigham Snow, who plays Caleb in the podcast. So he knows him very, very well. And it's really just a drop into the middle of Caleb experiencing high school as an empath. Oh God, it's happening again. I squeeze my eyes shut to make the dizziness stop. It doesn't work. I open them again and focus my eyes on my usual seat, like looking at the horizon when you get motion sick on a boat. I steady my feet the best I can, 
and I walk into class, navigating the rows of desks like they're choppy waves. People take their seats around me, and I'm caught in a whirlpool, getting dizzier and dizzier, my seat looking farther and farther away, and I can't believe I'm about to pass out in the middle of math. And here I was thinking math couldn't get any worse. Settle down, everyone. Settle down, Miss Ramirez yells from the front of the class. I know you're all anxious to get your exams back, and you will, but we've got to get through class first, so take a seat. Anxious. Yeah, no kidding, Miss Ramirez. I'd forgotten we were getting our midterms back until Ramirez dropped a stack of papers on her desk and the entire room tilted as we all remembered what day it is. How does this never get easier? I make it through the whole period somehow. I absorb like 0% of the lesson. My stomach is sloshing and my feet are unsteady on the ground. I know I'm going to fall over the moment I stand up. Maybe it's not that bad. Maybe the test went better than I remember. I tear my eyes away from the spot on the wall and take a quick glance around the room as Miss Ramirez gathers the stack of papers and starts moving around the room. Yep, pretty much seasick faces as far as the eye can see. Not a great sign. And remember that your workbooks are due on my desk at the start of class on Friday, not the end. I know some of you try to sneak in some work during class. Miss Ramirez is talking like half of her class isn't frozen in fear, but I can barely hear her over the buzzing of dread in my ears. I really am going to pass out. I watch my hand grab the paper Miss Ramirez is passing to me as she walks by my desk and feel my sweaty palms dampen the pages. The buzzing is joined by my heartbeat pounding loudly in my head as I turn over the paper. 57. I got a 57. The sinking, swirling feeling isn't relieved by knowing. It squeezes around me. Heaviness fills my body, and I lose all feeling in my limbs. Don't pass out, Caleb. Whatever you do, don't pass out. This is the worst it's ever been. This horrible, overwhelming feeling is crushing me and has been for weeks and weeks. It might actually finish the job this time and leave me totally squashed. Before it can, the buzzing starts to die down and the swaying of the room slows. I look up to see if someone opened a window. Suddenly, there's fresh air and sunlight in here. And see Moses across the aisle grinning big at his exam. There's a big 98 circled on his paper. My stomach should drop in jealousy, but I find myself feeling weirdly happy for him. Looking at him grinning like a maniac at his test is steadying me for some reason. Aw, oh, look, Mr. Popular got a 57, someone says behind me. And it's like the window being slammed shut. Guess it's true what they say about football brain. Tyler snickers and it cuts into me like splinters. I find my spot on the wall again and I stare at it like I'm Superman and I could laser eye a hole in the wall and escape. Don't turn around, Caleb. It'll just make it worse. You know the moment you look at his smug face, you want to choke him with his hoodie. The bell rings and I instantly spring into action. I shrug my jacket back on, stuff my test in my backpack, and stand up my eyes never leaving the spot on the wall. I've moved through this classroom for the past two and a half years. I know exactly where the door is, so I start walking in that direction. Don't collect $200 as you pass go. Simple. I can do this. I can use my stupid, strong football legs to walk the rest of my football body towards a doorway. Goddamn. A 57. Maybe I really do have football brain. I'm so glad that that was picked for this excerpt because it just in that little clip, you hear exactly how some of those emotions play out 
for Caleb and already how we heard that Adam is kind of like this cool breeze that's coming in from somewhere else. So it perfectly sets up everything that goes on in that book for, <laughs> for the most part. Yeah. Yeah. It's a good, a good teaser. <laughs> and also as we were in pride month, we're actually wrapping up pride month with this particular episode. Tell me what pride means to you. Pride to me just means being comfortable in your skin and in, and in who you are. And I, I think one of the things I've, I've really loved about seeing how pride has expanded and, and shifted over the past 5, 10, 15, 20 years is that it really can be whatever you want it to be, you know, and, and you can go to the, the parades and be on a float and go to the parties and the bars and be loud and colorful or you can do, I, I have some friends who do a, a queer book club and, you know, you can have a, a, a movie night with your friends and it can kind of be as big or as small as you want. And it's just about being at home with yourself and with your community. Well said. And I think we'll be seeing this year how pride expands what it means for people because it's yeah. going to be, you know, so much more difficult to be together in, in large groups. So we've talked a little bit about bits and pieces of what's coming up with the college tapes and with the yeah. third book in, in the Bright Sessions novels. Is there anything else you can tease for us that might be coming up in the in the next year or so? Yeah, I'm, I'm trying to think of what I can say that is, is public or public-ish. So we're currently working, I have a podcast company, Atypical Artists. And we are currently in pre-production on not only the college tapes, but on a show that we did not write, but that was an outside trio of incredible creators called In Strange Woods. And it is a musical. And it is just such a wonderful piece of writing and of music. And our cast is starting to come together and they are incredible. And I'm just so, so excited about that. That will, fingers crossed, be out later this year. And then... I also have begun some development work on a couple of shows that I'll be writing later this summer, probably, that I'm super excited about that I think any fans of The Infinite Noise or The Bright Sessions are really going to enjoy. Unfortunately, I can't say anything about them yet, but definitely stay tuned. Excellent. Look forward to all that and a musical. I'm all for that because I do love a good it, musical. So, Oh, it's so good. I'm, I'm just I'm so excited for people to hear it. <laughs> What's the best way for everyone to keep up with you online so they can keep track of all this as it starts to come out? Yeah, you can follow me at Lauren Shippen on Twitter, Instagram, and then laurenshippen.com. You also can go to atypicalartist.co.co, and that will show you all of the shows that we have currently out. And there's also a newsletter that you can sign up for that is honestly the best way to keep track of me. I know newsletters are like not necessarily the most like... 2020 hip thing in the world but we release it just every month so it's not going to flood your inbox and i usually put in a little bit a little personal note about what i'm working on as on top of all of the podcast stuff that we like to share so atypicalartist.co and laurenshippen.com for all of your updates fantastic we'll link up to all that along with everything that we talked about uh in our show notes Lauren, thank you again for coming and sharing the Bright Sessions world with us. I'm so glad that I found it, and I really hope that our listeners enjoy uh, any journeys they take there. Thank you so much for having me. This was so much fun. This week's interview transcript has been brought to you by our community on Patreon. If you'd like to read the interview for yourself, simply head on over to the show notes page for this episode at BigGayFictionPodcast.com.
And thanks again to Lauren for coming and talking to us about the Bright Sessions universe. I'm very much looking forward to reading The Neon Darkness as soon as it comes out in September. If you want to hear a little bit more from Lauren, she also did an interview with us for the Big Gay Author podcast, where we got kind of more into the creativity behind starting an audio fiction podcast. That episode of the Big Gay Author podcast will drop this coming Saturday on July 4th. That'll be episode 51 if you're interested in that. Also, I want to let you know that the Infinite Noise audiobook is available on Libro.fm. Of course, Libro.fm is a place where you can buy audiobooks and at the same time support a local bookstore or other independent bookstores across the country. Listeners of the Big Gay Fiction podcast can get a two-month audiobook membership from Libro.fm for the price of a single month. You can find the link for this in the show notes, or you can go to biggayfictionpodcast.com slash Libro.fm, that's L-I-B-R-O-F-M, and take advantage of that special membership offer. We hope you'll join us supporting local bookstores by checking out Libro.fm. All right, I think that'll do it for this week's show. Coming up next in episode 248, we're joined by Leslie Copeland, the mastermind behind the Heart to Heart anthologies, as well as authors Pandora Pine and Piper Scott. And we're going to talk about this year's paranormal edition of this amazing anthology. Yeah, it was great to talk to Leslie and get a little bit of the history of Heart to Heart and then talk about why it went paranormal this year. And of course, to find out a little bit about Pandora and Piper's stories as well. Jeff and I believe in the power of story. And if you're listening to the podcast, we're going to guess that you do as well. Reading a romance novel can be a way to feed and nurture and recharge your soul. Becoming a stronger you is the perfect way to crush systemic racism, homophobia, and misogyny. Reading a romance novel, therefore, is the perfect way to fuck the patriarchy. Until next time, everyone, please stay strong, be safe, and keep reading. Big Gay Fiction Podcast is part of the Frolic Podcast Network. You can find more shows you'll love at frolic.media slash podcasts. New episodes of this show are available every Monday wherever you get your podcasts. You can help support this show with a monthly pledge through Patreon. For more information about joining our community and the bonus content we deliver, check out patreon.com slash biggayfictionpodcast. I'm Kurt Graves. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week. The excerpt from The Infinite Noise was used with permission from Macmillan Audio. Copyright 2020, Lauren Shippen.